0: Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. How Sup? you doing? Hey, what's up? What's Up. You don't hear a lot of uh, you know psychologists start with "what's up."
1: You do if you work with kids and adolescents.
0: Is that what you do? Is that is, I mean, because
1: I, I, I'll, I have I'll, a lot of adult patients, but my my faculty position is child adolescent. So I, at the U, I see a lot of teenagers. I don't know if so this I is. I get to be more casual in how I speak.
0: I don't know if this is breaking client uh, psychologist confidentiality, Yeah, uh, but my son, I brought him to see you. And well, he, yeah, you just
1: broke it, but, it, you but know, I can, you're I, the dad. Can so, I do that? Yeah, I guess so.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and, and he loves Dr. Matt time. Well, he's a cool kid. You know, and, and he's a young kid, you know, working through some stuff. And, and, and now because of this podcast and my work with you, I always, that's the first thing I talk to people when they ask me, you know, what can I do? I go, are you seeing a therapist? Yeah because that's, I go, that's, that's that's usually a good yeah, and job. And what do you know? most people say? No. Right. But no for two reasons. One, cuz they didn't know that that was really an option because I don't I think most people wait until a doctor says, "Hey, you should probably go see a therapist." That's probably true. Yeah. Uh and the other is people go, "I can't find a it's good hard one." To get in. And it's so hard getting yeah. into one. Yeah. And so i and so i 'm a big fan of therapy because I and you've said it on this podcast before it 's just a good jumping off point to figure out what 's going on with you and then find out which way to go to best remedy whatever you 're dealing with yeah
1: I mean uh, one of the things that should or hopefully does happen. When you visit with a therapist, and remember, therapists can have a lot of different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a master's level person, a doctoral level person, different kinds of training. But hopefully you get some sort of kind of differential diagnosis where you come in and you might just know, hey, life's not going too well for me. And then the therapist can help you figure out, like, what that means, what we call it, and then
0: treatment for it. I, and that's what I love. Yeah. And so uh, I, I love working with you, and, and you know, you're very observant. So i got to ask you a question. Okay. Is it about your mustache? Nope. Oh, okay. But do you notice something different about me? <sighs> no, actually, I don't. Well, I'm on testosterone.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, you always look so manly, it's hard to tell. Yeah, you know? well,
0: because I, I, I went and got my blood work done. Got the got the T work? I got the low T, bro. So you got the low T? Low T. So, I mean, I've only been on testosterone a week. I've only, uh, you know, know. What type of testosterone are you taking?
1: Uh, like what mechanism? Are you getting a shot? A shot. You, okay. So you're doing yeah. the real deal.
0: In which my, my, my middle child, Frank, will probably have to come see you in a couple of years because she's giving me the shot. She's giving you the shot? Yeah. You can't give it to yourself? Well, I, it was the first one. I've only done
1: it twice. I did the one today. And Are you doing the thigh or the butt? The butt. Oh, you can do it in your thigh. I didn't know that. Oh, Yeah. yeah I mean... You can give it to yourself in your thigh. Just... Yeah, we don't want to traumatize Frankie.
0: <laughs> yeah, because when she was like, where down, I was like, well, just the upper butt. And she was like, ugh. And I was like, just did. do it. And so she did.
1: All right. Well, she's obedient. That's
0: good. Well, yeah, but I, maybe, yeah, probably You can not. give it to yourself and your thigh. Trust me. Okay. Well, yeah. you're kind I'm of a I'm not that
1: kind of doctor, but yeah, I'm a but doctor. But
0: you know doctors. Yeah.
1: Well, the, that no, that works. It just has to be a large muscle
0: and it's large, yeah, yeah. Because you work out those legs. You know, I skip leg day quite a bit. Do you? No, I do. Why? I, I, well, I do squats and I do the elliptical. Um, I I don't know. I probably should put a little more attention into my legs. But the reason so I the ladies
1: it, like the guns—that's why you focus on your guns.
0: The reason I'm talking about this is because. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, there's a reason.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I'm excited. I didn't think there was. You think it was just about me talking yeah. about being on testosterone? Yeah. No, well, kind of. Um, more importantly, recovery, uh, my recovery, a big component of my recovery is working out. Definitely. And so, you know, through these podcasts and the years we've been doing it, people often want to know what I'm doing for my recovery. And I tell them, I'm doing what makes sense to me. You've got to find out what makes sense to you and something that you can do. So we're coming up on five years. and. and. And I bet I've been to the gym every week, 100% of the time, since I've been out of recovery. I've kept that up going. Yeah, I don't think you miss very many days. No, I usually yeah. miss one or two a week, hopefully just one. Yeah. But with my schedule and the kids. Which is and, pretty
1: impressive for a guy that has to get up at 4.30 in the morning.
0: But I, but if I don't go, then I don't feel right. Yeah. So what I want to tell people is when they go, what are you doing? I'm going, I'm doing what makes sense to me. You need to do what makes sense to you. Uh, I've currently been dealing with a... a a buddy, a friend of somebody who's trying to get into recovery right now. He's at his rock bottom and he's ready for help, but he's trying to figure out, like when I present options to him, he will tell me what's wrong with every option before even exploring it. Does yeah. that make sense? <laughs> yes. A- and and I go, a story of my life. Man. And, and, and I go, well, what you're doing now doesn't seem to be working. So why wouldn't yeah. you at least hear these yeah, guys that's out? That's resistance.
1: Yeah, we call that resistance. Yeah. And so I, I, go, I go... There's some underlying, he's still not ready. He, yeah, he's not. Otherwise, I'll tell you what. I agree with everything you're saying. There is not one perfect way to go through recovery. No. And I think the most successful people in recovery find something that works for them. However, if you really are ready, you'll just take whatever comes your way. Like if you, there, he ought to just, if he's really ready, he ought to just jump into a recovery program that is recommended. Hey, this is a good one. Go there and make it work for you, right? Every rep- recovery program out there can work for a person. Then when you leave the recovery program, you've got some sobriety under your belt. You've got some education under your belt. You're starting to feel a little bit like optimistic, like I can do this. Then you start to like personalize your recovery program. For example, you went into the recovery program, not knowing exercise was going to be a big part of your recovery, but you've learned that since. Right. And yep. while you were there, but you also tried out all the other, you know, 12 steps and all the different things that were available to you. So when a person's ready, if you have an opportunity
0: to go to a recovery program, just go and make it work for you. It will work if you make it work for you. I was talking to this friend and uh, trying to talk him into recovery. And I used this analogy. Do you remember when Rocky went to Russia to beat, yeah. you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, Oh, Dolph Lundgren Dolph Lundgren yeah, yeah. so here's the, here's the way I look I re- would break you I, here's the way I look at recovery centers they're like gyms you yeah. know what I mean in yeah. a sense that Do- Rambo went over there and got fit in the woods but he could have and, and Dolph went and We're got mixing f- up our 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 Stallone movies but go ahead yeah at,
1: Oh, Oh, I said ramble. Yeah.
0: So here's – let me get back on this.
1: He was able to work out in a cabin. You can get sober. Dolph had
0: the technology. You can get sober in a 12-step room. You can get sober in an AA AA room. You can get sober in a nice facility. You can get sober in a state-run facility. You just have to have the will.
1: That's what I mean. I think you can make any of those programs work for you. Now, sometimes what you have in front of you doesn't seem like the best option. But if you're all in – you can get sober, and then recovery is a lifelong process. Yes. So how you develop your personalized recovery program might take shape after you leave the recovery
0: program. But what you have in front of you might be the only option. Exactly. So, you so if you it,
1: really want to be you'll get sober, sober, you can do it. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if that helped out, but hopefully it did. It was good. We talked about uh, testosterone, and, and Rambo was in Rocky. Dolph Lundgren. And Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah. That was all good
0: then i yeah how did your low t fit into that again i can't because remember. i got tested for low t i because i had not been to the doctor since i've been to rehab uh, oh okay there we go yeah that, yeah. that was the remember we back. made that deal Yeah we went did to the doctor you, you said you were gonna go and i went and had to run all my blood work did you get all my your colonoscopy yet i haven't got my colonoscopy yet is that scheduled no what? I keep why not
1: I, I don't know dude you got to do it You're have you had one yes I did mine last year, but now, so I did mine when I was fifty, when yeah. I turned fifty. But now they're saying forty-five. Yeah, I'm
0: just, you're I supposed was supposed to do it when you're forty-five. I thought I had
1: until fifty. Guess what? You're past forty-five. Yeah, you're so almost fit. What, are you forty-eight? Forty-nine. Right now? You're forty-nine right now. So I'll tell you what. By the
0: next time I talk to you,
1: I will have made it. Just schedule it because it's it's not. They never. They're like therapists. They don't have openings right away. Okay, so. Don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be a few months before you can get in. All right. This is where we take a break in the show and we go to Matt's Mental Health Well, I just Minute. had an
1: interesting thing. I, I mean, I I like to read up on the, the headlines of some of the science stuff that's coming
0: out. I always love it when you bring a highlighter. That means you got some good stuff. I like worth. to highlight. I know. It's a little OCD, but yeah. I like to highlight. I went with blue today. Okay. yeah, yeah much as your up. eyes. Thank you.
1: Um, Amsterdam. Little bit of research from the Netherlands coming
0: out. The Druggies Playground. <laughs> Could be. Well, that, I mean, actually,
1: that just, I mean, it is, but it isn't actually. The, the, the way they have the laws set up over there, they have a lot less drug abuse going on on the streets than we do. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, we should look into that and get into my political opinions later, but, um, but they, they have done a really good job of keeping, uh, things off the streets over there. Um, but we talk a lot about this connection between childhood trauma Mm -hmm. and addiction. Okay. And I don't think that was something you and I planned to talk about when we started this podcast, but so many of our guests, a high percentage of our guests have come in and sure enough, Uh, oftentimes some childhood trauma has caused anxiety and depression and that they've kind of self medicated with uh, some sort of substance and that started their addiction. Am I right? No, you're right. 100%. So this caught my eye when they were talking about the effects of childhood trauma. That's the study. And what they found is that it actually childhood trauma and they specifically emotional, physical, and sexual abuse and neglect, were all uh, reviewed in almost three thousand adults, okay. going back in. And um, the were much- there
0: three thousand adults with addiction, or just three thousand?
1: No, no, hang on, jump jumping the shark there. Pal. Okay, I know it's exciting. Yeah, I know. I love numbers. Um, but but the first thing they found was that these folks had much higher rates of anxiety and depression. Then they actually went in and found that they have much higher rates of cortisol and inflammation and changes in their stress management system in their brain. So what they're finding first result that's important is childhood trauma changes your brain chemistry. Okay, it does physiologically changes that and because of those changes people are at higher risk for anxiety and depression and they found some interesting just from this one study. They found some interesting things that you it changes your lifestyle. So people tend to be more withdrawn. That might be the depression. They have higher body mass index. That means they're more likely to be overweight. Um, They have other unhealthy habits like binge eating, and they tend specifically to smoke more. Hmm. Interesting. So the next evolution of this study is going to look more at those how lifestyle Uh, behaviors, unhealthy behaviors are a result of the change in your neurochemistry. Wow. So that would include. So the only one they found so far in this particular study, and this is just one study that's sort of making a big splash right now, was the smoking. That is much, much more likely to smoke and to have things like binge eating. So they're more overweight, that sort of thing. But the next evolution of this study they're talking about will be to look at broader addictions. how. How, but we already know smoking is there.
0: So when you guys as, as, as doctors get this kind of information, this is fascinating to you guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because this will show a trend in the, the makeup of the brain and the alteration and stuff. I mean, that's crazy. There's,
1: so there's so many interesting things about it. Number one, we could look at, well, how can we do biological interventions beyond just medication, but we know which systems of the brain have been negatively affected. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that your, your brain is sort of like a computer. It comes with some hardware loaded on, but then all of your experiences are like loading up software. You can customize and change your computer over time. Right? Wow. So our brains are the same way. So imagine the, the negative impact that can have on the system, of being abused or neglected, right? Those childhood traumas.
0: Childhood traumas
1: could be uploading a virus. Absolutely, that's a good way to think of it. And so everything we learn, everything we experience uh, creates neural pathways and not all of those are healthy. And we found that specifically in the stress areas of the brain have to do with things like cortisol in your bloodstream and things like that. Those are different, they're negatively impacted. So it makes sense that a lot of our guests on the show have had childhood trauma because They're self medicating and creating uh, higher risk for addiction by trying to manage that system. So I just thought it was fascinating, sort of validates a lot of what our guests have said. And the cool thing is, we might be able to develop biological and uh, behavioral and and cognitive interventions for people specifically for stress management so that they can be at less risk for addictions and other negative lifestyle things.
0: So we're going to get to our guests in a second. But uh, so what I'm hearing is that if somebody here is listening to this podcast and their child or themselves had some trauma the best thing to do with that trauma is to talk to somebody to figure that out because if it goes unchecked then that's when the long-term ramifications of the problems can occur yeah the longer that you go
1: without any help or support the longer it has a negative impact on your brain
0: because growing up as a child for me uh and and i still hear it and you know when people get divorced or whatever People will often say, well, children are resilient. They'll bounce back. And I'm not saying that children aren't resilient, yeah. but they should probably get that help if they can early on. Yeah, children are resilient, uh, but they're also
1: in the process of their own neurodevelopment. Our neurodevelopment's in decline at our age. <laughs> okay? But when you're a even kid... Even on testosterone? E- yeah, even you on testosterone. The testosterone part's doing awesome, though, I okay. can tell. You look, yeah. You're really... Powerful looking. Um, But uh, that brain development, all that is still happening through childhood and adolescence, uh, really up until about mid 20s. And so what we know is that if we're getting off track because of a trauma, we can get back on track and it's not going to happen magically. You need some help. You need some help and support. So if, if, yeah, if you've had childhood trauma and you're an adult, it's not too late to get some help and support with that. Even things that are as simple as helping you learn new ways to manage stress because your stress management system is impaired. Mm -hmm. If you are, you know, the, the person taking care of a child, a grandparent, a parent, an aunt and uncle, somebody like that, and you know, or suspect they've had trauma or neglect, then it's good to get in and get some help from a professional so that they can start to learn to get back on track earlier in their life before their development's finished. I love it. Thank you
0: very much. Yeah, anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. Cool, and you'll keep us updated as more information comes out.
1: Yeah, I think that this study seems to be uh, kind of spurring a lot of discussion about future
0: studies. In the business they yeah. say this it's got legs. It's got legs. There you go. Hey, our guest today is a big man. He brought us lays and a puppy. I know, right? His name is Moana. They call him Mo. How do you say your last name? Ofahingawi. That's how you say it. <laughs> that is how you say it. And so we're going to we're going to find out a little bit about Mo's story, but right now, you've been sober for how long? 4 months. I just hit 4 months on Jan or May 5th. Congratulations. Congrats. That's that awesome. That is awesome. Man, thank you. So we're going to hear Moe's story coming up next. You're listening to Project Recovery. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley, the man holding a – what kind of dog is that? Uh, teacup Labradoodle. Teacup Labradoodle. Oh, that's Louie. That's Moe. And, uh, Moe, you got about four and a half, almost five months of sobriety mm-hmm uh where does the story of mo begin uh, a little mo because i can't imagine you ever being little because how big are you
2: uh six four like 250 oh that's a big boy you put on weight when you sober up
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so where does the story of mo begin um i was born in hawaii uh at kohoku hospital in 1993 For some reason, I got it tatted on my knee just in case I forget. Um, (laughs) You know they put that on a driver's license. Yeah, I know. know. (laughs) But that expired. You can't be too
0: safe. You can't be too safe. I I got it. Uh, And then uh, did you grow up in Hawaii?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Hawaii, half in Hawaii, half here. So both are home to me. Um, So tell me a little bit about uh, your growing up. Did you have an
0: older brother, younger brother, sister, siblings? I'm the
2: second of seven. Actually, I got one older brother and then four sisters under me and uh, the youngest brother. What was home life like for you as as a young kid? Uh, Were your parents
0: religious? Uh, Did they party? Uh, I mean, what, what was your kind of family stance on
2: alcohol and drugs? So no one really went through any alcohol or drugs in my family. They all were religious. They joined the LDS church. My grandparents are two of 32 siblings and they're the only ones that joined the LDS church out in Hawaii. And, um, yeah, my parents never really, they, they drank every once in a while, but it wasn't, they belonged to the church. Um, so I, I have a Mormon background raised, got everything we ever wanted. Um, but we grew up with this, Old school, you don't really talk about it. Okay. Polynesians, you don't, we don't feel the need to talk about it. You either handle it or you let it go. Is that go for kind of everything in life? Or? Yeah. Yeah. For all, any like ideas as children, you don't really have ideas. You just kind of like do what your parents say and you either rebel really young or you just fall in line. Yeah. And when you rebel, you still have to fall in line. So it's like, You get that little moment of grace, but, you know, it comes with consequences. And funny story, actually, when I was living in Hawaii, I was nine years old. Me and my closest friend, neighborhood friend, we were watching. We were looking up to the high school kids. You know, they're drinking green bottles. Heineken's our drink out there.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And there's a liquor store on our elementary it's right next to the playground, and we're walking home, and we're just like, man, I wish I could be like this guy. I wish I could be like that guy, whatever it is. And we're looking at him drinking, so we reach in. My friend gets me to reach in behind while he's petting the dog, so he's distracting the dog. And I reach in to grab this bottle, and this guy comes out, the liquor store owner. He's a liquor store owner slash fire department guy slash cop <laughs> <laughs> in three neighborhoods. It's It's such a—it's a really, really small community, but— he catches me, and he says, oh, if you guys want to drink, you have to drink with me. And he gives us a shot of Everclear. And I remember oh drinking this. And That escalated quick. <laughs> it's, it's so insane. <laughs> That's so kind of nuts, and, yeah. and the crazy part is we're actually trying, now that I think about it, it's just like, dude, what idiots. We're trying to catch up to beer, but we don't know anything about alcohol. We're nine years old. We don't know anything about alcohol. And all we're thinking is we have to get through this. So by the time we're in high school, we'll be caught up to these guys. Uh-huh. We'll be able to outdrink all of them. And I remember taking this first shot. We sit there and try to look cool. We run out the back door, go around the corner and just start throwing up <laughs> everything. Yeah. We don't just throw up alcohol. We throw up all of our and we don't feel anything. Which would
0: be a common, you know, thing for a 9 year old to drink a shot That's pretty heavy, for a
2: Yeah. So we, of course, this guy's an old Asian guy, and he has this long gray beard, and he's just—that's the only thing he drank. So we go home, act like nothing happened. Um, this continues throughout my ninth year. We go back to a shop, and we're just like acting cool and just honestly. The way I look at it is like, at those times, I was just a follower. I was trying to become something that I wasn't, and it stuck to me. We ended up being the cool kids. We watched all the movies with the mafia. We idolized them, and we started sim- smoking cigarettes. Even though we couldn't finish one, we would take two puffs and flick it at whoever was next to us, whatever it took <laughs> to look cool. And Did he keep giving you guys shots of everything? Yeah. Oh, my God. So we would stop by and just, like, we'd, we'd do the whole We'd have tank tops on, and they would be dirty and board shorts and slippers, and it would just be like, you know what we're here for. And eventually you you kept the alcohol down. Yeah. So it it took a while, but after – and my grades were good. There was nothing to be, like, concerned, I guess. Nothing that would catch the attention of your parents, right? As long as we went to school and we could – and we never went above that. We never took two shots. We never, we just took our one shot and then we'd, we'd be on our way home. And we felt like we were the coolest guys in the world. We, being uh, in this same friend got into, we see weed. I mean, once you, it's, it's crazy how the law of attraction works both ways. And once you start drinking, you see people smoking weed and we started rolling up these like wet paper towels with crabgrass rolled up in our hands and we would sell them. <laughs> Get twenty bucks and just dip. They know where we live. There's only two streets in our neighborhood, so they would come to the house and we would just run inside. We're still little kids. Like we're, we our underwear hasn't even changed colors yet. We're still wearing white, and it's just like we're and it's just crazy because these guys would pull up and we'd just be like, "Grandma, we didn't sell him nothing." Or we'd tell him like, "Tell him what we sold you." Like, and it was just, it was just a trip to think back. Like, man, we we're just little kids, and the story gets. Better because we moved to Utah. So after that, we moved to Utah, um, stopped drinking. And I don't really remember too much about moving here until seventh grade, I would say. I went to Willow Creek Middle, which I just got the opportunity of talking at through Wasatch Recovery. And it was just cool to see like the kids that I was in those chairs. But I met my best friend there in seventh grade. We both got kicked out of there. And, uh, for what, for fighting me and him actually fought each other. Yeah. Uh. We fought because that was just a thing to do. And he was looking at me weird. I was looking at him weird and <laughs> we just fought. And then I ended up taking him home that day and he walked into my house and I found out we were cousins. My dad knew <laughs> him right that. I found <laughs> out we were cousins. Yeah. It was a crazy thing. It was, my dad was just like, what's your dad's name? And he was adopted. And then Well, he was, yeah, he was partially adopted, whatever it was. And he's like, oh, my dad's this. And then my dad's like, no, what's your real dad's name? And this is the first time I've talked to this kid and I'm bringing him (laughs) home. And then he's just like, oh, his name's this. How'd you know? And he's like, you look just like him. So that's funny. We become best friends and uh, we're just kind of on this, like, we should take over the world. I mean, we're little kids still, we're, we just got kicked out of school and back then, I say back then, but it, nowadays it's a whole different life. So it's like really back then, it was a whole different thing where like my generation idolized the bad kids. It's, it's such a weird thing to me now because it's like realistically, I idolized the kids that were in band. I idolized the kids that were smart. I idolized the kids that got straight A's and, I get kicked out and then it's like, yeah, I guess I got to choose this lifestyle. And, uh, the thing do that you
0: feel like you chose it or do you feel like it chose you? Cause in your head, you, you tell yourself a different story. You know what I
2: mean? It's like, I feel like I chose it.
0: Yeah. I, was- I think there's something powerful though. When you're
1: that age, especially you're a 12, 13 year old boy, and even a nine, 10 year old boy, you want to be powerful. And so I think, you know, you, you, you recognize on the one hand, I'm just a weak little kid and you look up to these great big guys. But there's something powerful about the dark side. Like, like, why do you think little kids love Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker? They love Darth Vader because he's big and powerful and strong and he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And so, like, the mafia is kind of like that, too. Like, you mentioned you like to watch the mafia movies. Like, they don't obey laws. They do their own thing, you know. So, on the one hand, it's kind of cool you could recognize that you did idolize the kids that were doing good stuff, like band and getting good grades and being smart. But on the other hand, they're not powerful, They're, they're admirable and you kind of realize they're going places and things are going to be good for them. But on the other hand, I think all of us kind of tend towards the dark side when we're that age, kind of being like, Oh, that's powerful
2: for sure. So do you guys start getting in trouble? Yeah. So we were already getting in trouble. We're, we're smoking weed. We're dealing weed and we're, I live right across the street from the junior high. So even when I got kicked out, it was fine. I lived right there. I could still go and see all my friends. I could get chased off of properties. Whatever it was. And it's right when you said that, I, I just thought of um I think it's the reverse Disney. I think <laughs> I like that. No one realized how strong the underdog love is to where it's like, maybe people wanted to see Darth Vader win. Yeah. Like Disney came out and it was like, I already know what the ending is. Mm-hmm. Everyone's gonna live. Those two are gonna get married from the very beginning of the story, and it's just that's the way it went. And everyone's used to this happy thing, but then it's like man, wouldn't it be crazy if Darth Vader just wrecked everybody, killed him. And it's like, <laughs> holy shit, that's the different, that's a yeah. different, like what I expected. But I, I think just rooting for the underdog was like my thing. And um, so me and my, and, and I love the mafia because they did it. They're like one of the very groups that like the very small percentage of groups that said they did it wrong, but they got out. They They did it right. They did the wrong the best way that they could and they actually succeeded and left on a good note, which just blows my mind because it's like everyone else gets hit for whatever it is. Like, gangs, you get caught up with this, you go to life, but these guys just perfected the underground work. And it's not – it's it's a horrible ending, but it's like yeah. – They perfected being bad. Yeah. yeah. You know, I used to talk in just Italian accent when I would go to houses <laughs> and like – Smoking cigarettes and talking like this, and it's just—it was such a cool thing to me to have this alter ego of—they call me Tony. Like, no one calls me Tony. Like, I don't wanna, but the fact that I could say it and people would sit there like, in doing awe. your best De Niro in seventh yeah, grade. It huh? was just, and yeah. it, so, so fourteen Sir, just, years comes up, and my my best friend still to this day—he's he's locked up, and he's one of the biggest reasons why I got myself sober, but. He brings home meth and my whole life just blows up at 14. Yeah, that's pretty young. And we're thinking we have the house to ourselves and we're and he's telling me like, yeah, this is what we're going to have to do in the future. And I'm just I'm already in it. So it's like I never even got that opportunity to sit there and set the guidelines of like, oh, I would, you know, a lot of people become this. I would never do that. I would never smoke meth. And then they end up smoking meth. What
1: do you think he meant by we're going to have to do this in the future?
2: Well, ju- I think just the path that we are on.
1: He kind of felt like it was inevitable.
2: Yeah. We were just the we were the cool kids, which I hate that like me and him both would bully the bully. But we almost gave in to like the cool kids. We were the kids that everyone could go to. From the band kids to the guys that wanted to be gangsters. Like, they could all come to us because we were sticking up for everyone. But really, we were just, fighting doesn't help anyone. Mm-hmm. Fighting is just another fight. It's not, you don't save a life. Like, I believe in bullies need to be around because there's bullies in this world. There's bullies when you grow up. There's always going to be bullies. And
0: it Learning teaches to deal people. With yeah.
2: It, it, it highlights the kids not only that are getting bullied, but the ones that stand up for bullies. For, for kids that are getting bullied. Like it gives everyone that shot to like almost become friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so, yeah, my first time smoking meth was when I was 14 in my friend's house and his dad pulled up right when we smoked. Oh. And for those of you that haven't smoked meth, the moment that you smoke it, all cops are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's holes in your blinds and you're just looking through windows looking. And his dad pulls up, the garage opens. And I remember taking off out the back door. And this is my best friend's dad. So he every time he sees me he's like, "Oh, you say hi. I'm dipping, dodging nothing." And I run home and I call him and me and him both think we're going to hell that night. We're like, "Dude, I don't even know what meth we don't we don't even know what meth is, but we think we're going to hell because we watched all the commercials dare was out back then. Yeah. It was the don't do drugs, just say no, but I was just In in the Polynesian community, again, saying you don't talk about it. You either handle it or you don't. It's tough when you need to talk because I don't know how to talk to my parents. I'm still working on it to this day. How old are you? I'm 29.
0: So when you smoke meth that first time, you guys think you're going to hell. Um, I'm
2: guessing you did it again? No. You didn't? Nope. We got so scared that day that we never (laughs) touched it again.
1: Scared straight.
2: Yeah. It was because, dude, we had, like, the fact that his, I think it was the fact that his dad came home set this intention that if we're going to do it again, someone else is going to pop up. God forbid it's my dad because we're done. (laughs) We're done. The whole house is broken. We're dead.
0: So where do you go from 14? Uh, How does your
2: high school years look like? So I actually started, I sucked at football. My whole life. I this I shot up in size. I was five five until ninth grade. And I've always had leg hurt, cramps or growing pains. And over the summer I shot up to six four. Wow. And in one summer? Yeah. Wow. I had pains my whole life. And me and my brother were literally like twins. And then I shot up and then it like my brother was really good at football. And I'm walking around the house with my pads on. And I'm just like, I'm going to play this year. I'm going to play this year. And I play for Lehigh. We are the worst team in the state at this time. And we play the number one team. And my dad's just like, hey, give him a shot. He's going to be good. And I remember going out there. And I'm thinking, man, I'm this bigger dude. I'm about to kill it. And I get down to my stance. And I'm scared. Like, terrified. I'm about to get killed. And I remember... Like it was literally yesterday. They say hike, and I am running the opposite way. <laughs> I'm playing DN, and I'm running straight sideways towards the sideline. And this O lineman is chasing me, and I'm trying to push him away from me. The quarterback, the ball was oversnapped, and it hits his helmet, and the quarterback pushes it. And I'm running away from him, and I look up, and the ball's right there. I catch this ball and run it in for a touchdown. <laughs> no lie. What was so crazy love about it. this, the moment I scored, I was celebrating. I throw up the ball, and I scored three defensive touchdowns this game. In one game? In one game against the number one team. We beat Lone Peak. Wow. And I just I became a football player. Since that game, I never looked back. I I literally don't tell anyone that part because they don't the way it looked was like oh, looked like you I knew what, what you doing. were doing. <laughs> you see this film, I am literally <laughs> where I'm not supposed to be and the ball is nowhere near where it's supposed to be. But it just changed my my thinking. So that that year I actually earned a scholarship after the season from Utah, Utah State, um Oregon State and it was my first year playing football. Fast forward to—so high school, I kind of just spent the football time. I just—I was that that guy that balled out. We had a bunch of dudes. We had Garrett Bowles, who just went to the league a couple years ago. He was the number one pick in the draft. He played with us. John Ursua, playing at the Seahawks now. He's he's just visiting right now, so I got to hang out with him. And um, we were just ballers, man. We were out in Westlake High School— brand new school, we have fifteen people living with us because recruiting's a real thing, and we're just i'm 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 that guy, so I'm living to my best life. I actually end up picking up a scholarship from every team in the country that year was bama and l s u they offered me, and um I gotta take my trips greatest time of my life I gotta go to Florida state, Florida. South Carolina, Michigan. I got to just see all those schools and just live the hype. And last second, I chose Utah. So I actually went to Utah. University of Utah? Yep. So I played there. Um, I had three years there. So during, this, during high school, the one issue was I couldn't give up drinking. And alcohol was okay because everyone in high school was drinking. So it was okay then. And um, when I got to college... I was so I was working in high school also. I was working for a a construction company called Triple A Barricades and I was working throughout high school, got to college, I was still working so I had more money and then drinking kind of like obviously clouded my judgment. I started dealing uh meth while I was drinking. I wasn't touching it anymore and uh but I, I just couldn't control drinking, man. I was drinking literally 24-7. Like While you were playing football. Yeah. And I was, like, the crazy thing was I was doing it. Like, I was supposed to start my freshman year. And then I told him, you know what, I want a gray shirt. So I gray shirted. My second year came up and I was like, honestly, coach, if it's for me, I'm in a red shirt. Because if I'm this good now, I just want to play one year and go to the league. And... Everything happens perfectly. Red shirt. And um, right before, so 2015 comes up and we have a mock draft. We do a mock combine and I'm 265. I'm feeling great. I'm still drinking, but we have a mock combine and I clock a clock of four or five. I have agents hitting me up and I'm just ready to go to the league. Keep in mind, I haven't played it down yet. Wow. And that's really fast. That's, You're running that fast and drinking. Yeah. Wow. And but my body's so reliant on it. Yeah. It's just what I did. I mean, I'm sitting in class with a water bottle full of Everclear. I only drank Everclear, most likely because of what I started. Early with. life experience, yeah. yeah. And it was just easier, it was cheaper, it was at least I could get to the point. And then we're celebrating from that night. So we're we're having this huge dorm party. Um, The cops come and shut it down. We had 2,000 people in the dorm room up at the U, and and I'm killing school. Dude, this is what's crazy. Addicts are the smartest people on this earth. Mm -hmm. I really do believe so. It's funny that I met you because my degree is psychology. Oh, great. I'm one semester away from graduating. All right. Still to this day. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm taking 24 credits a semester while I'm there, and just everything's going good, but I'm hiding this demon and but everyone knows because I'm I'm showing up to practice and no one can really say anything cuz I'm making plays. I'm doing great on the field, so that's all they care about. And at this party um so it's crazy, 7 years before this party, my mom got into a moped accident. Cracked her head open, she got like 37 staples in her head, and we weren't allowed to touch mopeds. Believe it or not, at this celebration my car's gone and there's a moped outside that belonged to like some of the you boys. So my first time ever riding a moped, I go and pick up this food and I'm taking this food to these girls driving down the hill. Hopefully they fix the hill up by the dorms, but it is just all rocks and whatever. And this car cuts me off and I'm, I go around it. And when I turn back the wheel locks out and my memory just wipes from there. Um, I wake up eight days later to mm. in the in the university hospital to a guy pulling a pole out of my head and they had to drill a hole for to relieve pressure. Yeah. And my skull sealed to the pole. So he's sitting there trying to re-crack it to break it off of the skull mm. and he pulls it out and I pass back out. So I died. I woke up in a coma. Or or I was in a coma for eight days and woke up um, and I was paralyzed from the waist down. And the movie Concussion came out. So football was done for me. And believe it or not, that was like the most um, important thing at the time. Like all I cared about was football. And... They were doing blood work and my liver partially failed. They said I have a 50-50 chance of it rebuilding on its own if I quit. So I went to uni to um, detox and then they put me back into the hospital. Um, And about a month later, the doctor couldn't explain it. No one could explain it. But as I was learning how to walk and talk, I literally woke up one day and everything was back. Mm. And... It's a blessing and a curse because the blessing is like I'm obviously walking and talking again, but the curse is I don't know what the trauma felt like. Like we almost get it easy as like having a traumatic brain injury because all we do is wake up and recover. Everyone else has to feel the heartache. I don't feel any heartache because it's like, well, I don't really remember anything. But like, your family had to see you yeah. go through that coma and all that. Yeah. yeah, so I remember I remember reading my mom's Facebook post uh, when I woke up, and that's when it kind of set in because she said, "Don't let me find out that my son's dead from one of you guys posting something. Wait until I get there to find out my son's dead on his oh, own." Oh, jeez! And because she was flying in from Hawaii, and it just that like broke my heart because I'm a, I'm a mama's boy, and it just no one should ever have to go through that. No one should ever have to like. I'm flying from Hawaii. The last thing they want to see is like, hey, I'm sorry about your son when you uh, land. yeah. So, oh. so you get regain your legs and
0: yeah. you start walking. Football is no longer in the picture. Yeah. Uh, they say your kidney is liver. is gone. Liver's liver has
2: gone. Yeah.
0: Gone. Uh, at this point, the family's got to know that you have a drinking problem or do they not know? No, they know. They know.
2: So then I got checked in back to, to uni yeah. to do inpatient, and I dip. I dip because I'm thinking, this recovery is for football. And I go into this meeting with the doctors, and um, they say that you're done with football. And I was just like, all right, I'm out. And and
1: just for the listeners, like a head injury, like you're describing, like you should Be very careful the rest of your life, right? That's what they're telling you. You can't put your head at risk. So not only should you not play football, but anything where you could hit your head,
2: you should avoid. So I actually, yeah, I actually cracked ear to ear in the back, straight through, and then I shattered the right side of my face. Wow. And, yeah, it was just, it was unexplainable that I was back. But the moment that they asked, well, they told me that I'll never play again. I'll never, there's so many precautions, I walked out of the doctor's office because I felt like I didn't have anything. That became my identity of mm-hmm. I'm a football player. And then they're sitting there talking about so they're talking about we have five more years. You have you still have years of college. And I'm just like dude, I don't I don't care about college. Like I'm going to school so that I can play football. I'm not going to school because I want to better my future. And that's just really what I saw it as. So I walked out. I dropped out of school. Um, as I was saying, I still have that one semester and then I'll graduate, which is. Well, I the University
1: of Utah's not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you can, a, and you can go when you're ready.
2: Yeah. And I, I'm actually going this fall. Oh, good for you. So I'm going this fall to get um, my. I'm, I'm going to graduate and then I'll get my whatever it is to become a, a therapist or a life coach. Okay, so I'll enroll this fall and graduate. Um, yeah, but it was it's, and I didn't know where to fit in, so I hit up my best friend from junior high, and right when I pick him up, he's just like, "Hey, is it cool?" And I'm thinking he's smoking weed, and he pulls out a meth pipe, mm. and that instant I was just like. Let me get some. So I smoke and I start running around the streets. um, Start running around with this gang of where I know their families and start getting into criminal activities and just not really caring about anything because I don't have football. That's my excuse, per se, for why I went out to the dope game everyone has their excuse. Really, I just chose to be there and it was just something that clicked with me. So I'm already dealing, but I'm not using yet. But now that I don't have football, it's just like what's the point of like I still can deal. I could still so I'm running around the streets out here in Salt Lake and um I'm just losing everything. Um I had an apartment, lost it. I'm getting evicted. I'm getting kicked out. I'm getting locked up for just random stuff. I'm getting locked up to get food. Like, it's just a good place. I'm crossing boundaries so that I go to Utah County at least because Utah County's food's a lot better than Salt Lake. <laughs> but it's... I'm, good to I'm know. I'm strategic Yeah, I'm strategically planning out the dumbest things and, like, why even go in? But it's like when you're out there hungry and all you have is meth. Meth can only get you so far of not eating until it's, like... But could you go home? I could have. That whole time I could have. But it's just I don't want to bring the streets' life to home. Mm-hmm. So I'm just out there, just losing my mind, um, running around with these with with my brothers. Honestly, I, they're my brothers for life, and whether they get clean or not, um, it's up to them. I, I love them, but my. Uh, as i was saying that i i cleaned up a, a lot of my reasoning is for this this friend he's uh so like a lot of
0: times when people come on the podcast they have a rock bottom somewhere that uh you know they have to make the ultimate decision uh, i had a therapist tell me once this is going to end three ways you're going to end up in prison you're going to end up dead or you're going to get sober and when you're at a rock bottom those are usually your three choices did you have a rock bottom that had you make that decision
2: yeah And you know, what you guys were talking about earlier in the intro, it actually, you said that you're, you have this guy that you were trying to get in because he hit rock bottom, Mm -hmm. but then he was making excuses for it. For me, I don't think it's his rock bottom. I mean, I've had a rock bottom where it's like, I lost football. I lost everything. And then I checked into rehab. You know, I, I actually got married. I got married. I went to Provo to get away from all of this nonsense. I went to Provo, decided I was going to go to church. um, And I meet this girl and I get married to her and things aren't working out. So I check into rehab and I have this just resentment of like, you met me as a drug dealer. Why in the world are you pissed that I'm a drug dealer? Like, there's, there's <laughs> buyer beware, huh? Yeah. Did you not know I checked the part time box? Like, Jesus, <laughs> there's not any reason for the. But I'm I'm so grateful for that that rock bottom because it was like my marriage isn't working. This isn't. So I go into rehab and I meet Wasatch Recovery. So about five years ago, and Todd Sylvester, who runs the Believe Cast, yeah, he's been here before, yeah, and. He just tells, like right when I walk in the doors, dude, he just has open arms and he's like, well, you hit the grand slam. And I'm just like, I'm kicked out of the house. I'm this, that, whatever it is. And all of these excuses. And he's just like, what if there's nothing wrong with you? And I really do believe that there was nothing ever wrong with me. I mean, I could go back and forth and do this and that and relapse and go all over the place and realize that nothing ever changed with my value. I've always been worth time and happiness, really. And so I open up this kava bar. I I get out. I leave Wasatch after 120 days of residential. It took me 30 days to talk to anyone. And I just hate everyone there. I hate everyone there because I have to be there. I have to do this. And then I start realizing after that long that like, you know what? I do have choice and I leave rehab. I uh, go to get divorced and yeah. I'll so just, you get divorced. Um, you get a little emotional. When I got divorced it was because things just weren't going right. And I have $400 in my bank account. I am the strongest believer in God because I get this Gmail notification discount tickets on Sell for Hawaii. They cost $375. I click on this and it goes straight to my bank account and it's just like as if it's telling me to just go. So the ticket is for that night. I click on it. It comes out to be $394. So I have $6 in my account and I take that one way, go to Hawaii, I move in with my grandparents and I start working. And Going to Hawaii, being with my grandparents, my grandpa's sick now. He's on bed rest. He's, he's beat cancer five times, and now we're just enjoying our time with him until he passes, and um, it was such a good time to go out there and uh, be with him, but I saved up enough money to open up a kava bar, so I moved back to Utah, opened up this kava bar with my pops, and um, it was called Recava, short for Recovery and uh it was something to give back something like a place for people that don't know what to do like the hardest thing is the transition mhm you come out and everyone still is in that same place where you left no one got any therapy no one got any they're all just thanking you and i mean i appreciate the thanks but for for a lot of my friends and family that come up to me um it honestly is – it's surprising to me because everyone wants to, like, congratulate you or thank you. And it's just like, man, if only I could tell you straight up that I didn't do it for you. Like, you need just as much help as me. <laughs> I'm out here for me, and as selfish as it sounds, I'm only sober for me. I can't, like, thank you for what? I'm, I'm... – No, I get it. I get it. Well, we talk a lot about, you know –
1: Casey's had the best intentions to get sober for his kids. Most people that come on the show say that they had the best intentions to get sober for somebody that they loved. But in the end, if that sobriety isn't for you, it's going to fail. So yeah. I think you have the right idea, and, uh, and hopefully it's a good example to the other people around you that they may need to get their life back on track.
2: But you uh, start a Kava Bar with your dad. Yeah. Uh, how's that going? So it shut down. Oh, so I ended up. I was working at the airport. It wasn't making enough money. I was. I started it, and then COVID happened. That's just me and the man upstairs' way of communicating. Anytime, <laughs> like it's got to be hard headed, just like the accident. Yeah, that's the only way I would un- come to the understanding that I got now, and I love him for it. It's all opportunities to where the Kava Bar was going. It. It was. It was a cool place to kick it. It was my sanctuary. So. I got a job at the airport and I'm working at the airport to pay for the job for the bar because the bar's not really making too much money. And you can only do that for so long. That's kind of like, you can only work for something else. Mm-hmm. Just like sobriety. You can do it for someone else, but it's only going to take you so far. And after three years of just working, my dad, um, he's supporting me from the outside. He's not really into it. He's kind of just too busy, but I'm just getting later and later in my um, bills and then things aren't going too well at home because I got a girlfriend by then and I love her to death. She's supporting me through all of this. She's a nurse. So shout out to the nurses that are just sacrificing their lives for other people's lives and just I, I idolize my woman. She's an amazing person just through and through. And she's a thug, so it's like <laughs> you got a thug love. But eventually
0: something happens with the kava bar and that that puts your recovery
2: in jeopardy. Yeah, so I end up relapsing for two weeks, and I call Ryan Decker at Wasatch, and I'm just like, dude, he, well, he answers the phone with this typical, what are you doing, smoking rocks? And I'm just like... Yeah, dude. Honestly, I'm gone. And he's like, well, how bad is it? And I'm just like, bro, I'm already kicked out the house. I just bought a car today. That's how lit I am. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just ruining dude. I'm, I've gone through almost every bank in Utah through my addiction and just milking them and then letting it shut down, go to collections. It's whatever. And I'm buying a car the day, be, the day I call him and I'm just like, bro, I just bought a car. I need help. Like, I'm not functioning. And he's just like, well, are you high right now? And I'm like, damn right I'm high. And he's like, go home. Pack your stuff. Be out here at 8 in the morning. So I go out, get my last hurrah in, and check back in January 5th. And, dude, I'm, I'm so grateful that I checked back in because it is a lifelong battle. And I don't want to take it away from anyone that says that it is a lifelong battle. But... For me, it's not. It's a decision. It really comes down to like, are you done or are you not? Because for me, I can have whatever temptations, but honestly, in my head, it's like I've already made the decision that I'm done. And until you give me what we were talking about earlier is just like, I just need one reason. It's not that I quit. It's just give me one good reason to do anything and I'll do it. Like, and I'll never come up with one. Like, I would love to drink in the future. But it's just, I just need that one reason to change who I am to go back to drinking. And yeah, it's like, you got to do that with caution. But it's like, I'm a pretty fun dude. Like <laughs> well, I I'm get just, that. I'm yeah. just, dude, I'm just lit, like, on life. Like, I just love having a good time. I I bring light into rooms. Like, that's the type of person that I am. And it's like, what was so fun about drinking? Like they're really, everyone goes through that. Oh yeah, you need it to numb your feelings and it really doesn't numb it and it's going to blow up and it's probably going to come back around and do this and that. And it's like, but you're still going to do it. But for me, it's just like, I've already done all that stuff. I've already had all these things and it's just, give me one good reason. Like even to mix kava. give me one good reason and I'll be back out there. But until I find that reason, I'm a pretty fun dude on my own. I don't... But the reality is I don't think there's a good reason. Yeah,
1: I don't... Well, I see you and Casey have a lot in common because I think you're both really fun guys. Naturally, you don't need any substances to enhance how much fun you are and how much light you bring into a room. I can tell that. And so I think what I hear you saying is there just isn't a reason to, that's good enough to go back yeah, to yeah. to that.
0: And, and you know, you said something, and it is a lifelong battle, um, but there... it. There's a choice. There's a choice to pick it up again. But after you do pick it up, then the addiction takes hold. Yeah. And so there is a choice. Yeah. And you know what I mean? I've said it before on this podcast. So, you know, if somebody put a beer in front of me, could you drink that? Yeah, but there's nothing in that bottle that's going to make me feel better than the way I feel right now. For sure. There's nothing in that bottle worth, you know, giving away of what I've tried to do in the past 5 years. There's nothing in that bottle. There's nothing that's going to make me think, yeah, this is a good idea. There's not a good reason in that bottle. So much in the fact that you're doing wonderful things now in recovery, and it's only five months, uh, you're starting a recovery
2: center out in Elko. Yeah, so it's called Kairos Recovery. Um, If anyone wants to, like, support a cause or support a new up-and-coming thing, we actually have our 5K run january June tenth um just this next month, we have it out in Elko It's you get a shirt it's, <laughs> I mean, or you could run and then get a shirt like either way we're just we're honestly just getting into it me and uh my business partner troy he's he's my brother he's we went through the house together and we're just we're trying to do the dream that everyone talks about I mean in my addiction. I've seen the craziest of crazy things. I mean, I got a company, me and my brother partnered up, and we have this uh, towels company for football. We sell little towels, cleats, gloves, all of the gear for these kids, and it's called Das Kronz. It's short for Das Chronic. Like, I would see people with refrigerators on their shoulder while they're riding a bike, and it's just like, <laughs> what in the world is going, like, but to me, it's normal. I'm sitting there looking at them, and it's just like, oh, Das Cron's. Yeah. <laughs> like this dude, but it's like when sober, what is like, why is it, There's these unknown rules, like norms. That's like, Oh yeah. Once you want to get a year under your belt before you start making any move, And it's like, dude, what if we just try? And even if we fail, like we could change one life by doing this, or we could learn how to really do it. Like, we're we're starting our own rehab. I actually go out there next week. And shout out to the audio man. He he's from Elko. He's Josh, man. One yeah. One of two. We have like eighty percent of Elko's population out here <laughs> in this room, and it's that's gonna be great. How do people find out about the five k? It's on Facebook. So it's called Kairos Recovery. That's K A I R O S. Kairos Recovery. 5k run it's on facebook you can sign up on there or all the information's on there and it's just yeah i'm just excited oh i love
0: it i can see life in your eyes i can see life in your face and your mannerisms and i i mean you you, i love everything that you stand for and i think it's cool dr matt what are your thoughts on uh, mo
1: i like mo's
0: uh attitude of
1: you got to make choices, right? And so in the end, you got to make a choice to be sober. You have to make a choice to start a recovery center. You have to make a choice to be your best self and every good thing starts with a good choice. And so I think that's something for us all to keep in mind. I think too often in life, and I know I'm guilty of this, we kind of wait for good things to happen. And I think if you really want good things to happen in life, it starts with you making the choice to make it happen. And then other people and other things fall into place to help us when it's right. So I, I, I love that energy that you're bringing in and best of luck. Uh, anybody who's out there getting ready to start or is running a recovery center has my admiration. I think that's an awesome thing to do.
0: The thing I love about Mo and it's you hear it a lot in recovery and it's always do the next right thing. Yeah. Do the next right thing. Uh, it's not always the easiest thing and, and starting a recovery center is not easy, but if it's the right thing, it's the right thing. So if you use that as your guide in life, after you find recovery and doing the next right thing, it's pretty hard to go wrong. Yeah, if you do the next right thing.
1: So I want to ask: Will you come back after you get things up and running out there in Elko and come back on the show and talk yeah. to us about about how your recovery center is going? Hell yeah, I would we would love, love that. to
0: come back out. Yeah, let's do that. And my thought is: is if by chance this doesn't work you've got a future in dog taming because you've had that three-month-old puppy on your lap this whole time, and it hasn't barked, it hasn't moved, and
2: uh, uh, Louie's a good dog. Yeah, no, we love him. Me and my girl love him. He's he's the greatest thing. We Honestly, it's so nice to have a dog. I mean, I use the whole, like... I could really use a recovery dog. <laughs> 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 like I I my thing is humor. I think if you don't laugh you're done. Like there's I like and that. honestly like with my mom, even though it's messed up, it's like my mom had this litter and I was just like, man, I could really use that like recovery dog. I mean, who knows? I could relapse. And it's just like you have to. It's kind of like using the whole, like, it, over here in Utah, it's like I tell every kid at these football camps, like, when they really want cleats, I'm just like, go up to your mom and tell her, hey, one of these days I'm going to leave you and go on a mission. <laughs> this is all I ask for. And it works every time. And, I, like, it's, it's one of those things that, like, it shouldn't be played with, but like if it is, it's that's like, well, funny. that's
0: to the. Well, I love it. Hey, Mo and Louie, thank you for stopping by. Dr. Matt, thank you for joining me every week. And Josh, the. Uh, 80% uh, of Elko. Yeah, thank you for being yeah, here. Yeah, I buddy. love you guys all. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. Let's hear your dog voice real quick when you're talking to Louie.
2: Oh,
1: Louie. 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs>